You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. So we've been working through literally this dense sermon. I, I believe Hebrews is really one sermon. Some of you think I preach long around here, okay? It's one sermon. And uh, so we're coming here to the end of what he brings us to, this conclusion. The preacher of Hebrews has been writing this message and he leads us to this incredible pinnacle, the top of everything, the crescendo, the climax, leads us to these two verses. So we're gonna be focusing on these this morning. I'm gonna read that and then what we're gonna do is kind of, uh, kind of uh, set up these two verses in a way. We'll look at the context of what these verses are saying and how it is we get to this point and what it is he's talking about in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us set aside that, right? And then instead, let us run with endurance race that is set before us. In verse two, the title of the message today is looking to Jesus, founder and the perfecter. You could say the author, the finisher. There's a variety of words we can use there. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me begin our time with prayer. Father, we thank you for all that you've done today. God, my heart is filled to this point, bursting in a sense, praising you for what you've done, what we've sung about today, what was just read and proclaimed from your word in John, the testimony of John giving witness, bearing witness of your resurrection. The tomb is empty, Father, and today, We thank you for your life and the life that you have instilled within us today. God, I pray that you would encourage the people here. You would give them confidence and courage today from the youngest to the oldest among us. God, even the children who are being taught the word right now, may you encourage them, may you teach them the truth. And God, may your spirit be present with us. Unite us around these truths today. The faith of God that we have. God, we we put our faith and trust in you today and honor you and praise you for the life that you have given. In Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was studying the passage over the last couple of weeks, uh, preparing for this, I kept, you know, just looking forward to this passage. This is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. It's just a, a beautiful description. It's a wonderful illustration, really, of the entirety of the Christian life. Uh, a friend of mine sent me a message on this passage, but in regards to faith uh, and Hebrews 10 and 11 and 12, and it was by Tim Mackey, and he gives a, a, a neat illustration that just was stuck in my head that I'm gonna kind of elaborate further on today. But he kind of references chapters one through 10 of Hebrews as like a, a giant door of opening into this uh, room that leads us to this journey of faith. And I'd like to think through that today. I kind of want to set in your mind a little bit as we begin kind of a visual illustration of the scripture, of what we just read of this journey, but also of Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 11, which is this hall of faith. All of these characters that are listed there, heroes of the faith that have gone before. And I kind of want us to just sit and imagine for a moment if we were to try to visualize what that would look like together. So there's this front door 
this giant ornate door. Maybe you've been to seen one of those stone cathedrals and we were just down in Charleston a few weeks ago and there's this old, old churches with these beautiful wooden doors on the front. And you can imagine Hebrews one through 10 is represented by the giant mahogany door with all these beautiful carvings into the door. And all these carvings of Jesus, that Jesus is the better, he's better than the angels. His name is far superior. Is kind of one block of the carving on the top left. And then the next one is this, Jesus is superior to, to anyone that has come before. He's superior to all the law and the prophets because he fulfills it all. That's kind of one depiction and carving. And then chapter three is all about this. Jesus is the better Moses. Uh, he's a, a, a better, he's the builder and the designer of the house. Not like Moses who was just the steward of it. And Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus, you're better rest. He's the better Joshua. He's the better Moses. And he's the, he leads us to a better sacrifice because he offers his blood and he is the better sacrifice the better high priest ultimately he's the better savior he's the better as it says in this passage founder and the finisher of our faith and you look at this door and it's wonderful to behold it's intricate it's detailed and it leads you to consider the person and the work of Jesus Christ and it draws you in as you consider chapters 1 through 10 of this giant mahogany door that is in front of us And it bids us almost to come and open the door, right? And then we come to the end of chapter 10 and you notice as you begin to open the door, there's a hinge and the giant mahogany door swings on this hinge which is found in John, uh, Hebrews 10 it is, where in the end there it tells us to not throw away our confidence that we have in the person on the front of the door. To don't shrink back from the door but rather enter, come in, have confidence, step in, Enter the faith, it says. Don't let go of that doorknob now. Step into it. And as you, as you do that, you give that confidence. The door swings open and you, you begin to open the door. As you step in, you notice on the back of the door. The back of the door is, is carved with a variety of names. Signatures upon signatures upon signatures inscribed into the back of this giant ornate door. And you begin to pick out different names and some of the names right at the top are, are names like Abel and Enoch. Men, men and people like Noah. And then it says, uh, uh, by faith, Abraham and Sarah. People like Rahab and, and Gideon. And it goes on and on for Moses and Joshua and all these names. And then a, a whole bunch of names that you don't even recognize but continue the theme of these people who seem to have gone before you through this door of faith have entered through it and have inscribed their name, their signature is written down to encourage you that, hey, there's been someone who's come before you. Keep on, keeping on. So you do, you step through the door, you walk through and your eyes meet this, this central foyer that leads to a path, an entrance, or you could say an exit from this household of faith as it leads you to a pathway. A cobblestone street becomes quite narrow, but you notice that the street begins there, but it doesn't end there. It's uh, quite a distance. It goes on for quite a ways. And it's as you begin to step out onto that street or on that road or on that path, it's not so much what you notice with your eyes at first as you step out, but it's, it's what you notice with your ears. It's what you hear. As you begin down the journey of that pathway, you, you begin to hear something. Something is distinct you can't quite make it out at first, but it, it becomes almost like a, 
something in the distance. It's, it sounds more like a, like a buzzing or, or, or kind of a, a distant, dull roar. Your mind goes to, it sounds almost as if the ocean is coming in, but, but then you recognize for it's not an ocean. The sound you hear sounds like a crowd. A stadium, you could say, filled with people cheering and cry, uh, uh, crying out and, and clapping their hands, encouraging you, and then you look around and you notice that there is a massive almost cloud of people in the sky surrounding you and you notice you're not alone. These people are, are cheering you on, clapping you on, urging you to keep on going so your confidence, your faith in what you are experiencing is, is spurred up, it is stirred up within you, it is, it is strengthened and so you begin to jog down this road and then your jog turns into a light run and then your eyes come into play you look down this road and you begin to see in the distance something that is bright and shining. You run towards this distant light, you could say. Not a, not a bright light, like when you look into the sun, it hurts your eyes, but a light that draws you in, that bids you come. A light that is almost like a nice warm fire that is generally encouraging to you, that is something that says come nearer. And yet a light that seems to be almost like a burning fiery bush, you could say. Or the bush comes into your mind that spoke to Moses, this, this fire of fearful, yet something that draws you in and speaks to you. And as you run towards this light, you begin to make out that there's someone in the center of this light that you're running towards. You've seen him before. He looks familiar to you. You can't quite put where you've seen that person, but as you come closer, you can't exactly tell, but the one begin to recognize because the person you see in that far and distant place is is recognizable because you've seen him before because he was on the front of the door. He was the one, that face, that person who was carved in the front of that door that you entered faith by and, and yet he now seems to be at the finish line waiting and calling you but he's not standing, he's sitting on a throne and he's, he's calling you to come and to run and so you do. You run looking to this person, this one. You could say looking to Jesus. You run down the path. And then he tells you as you are running to lay aside these weights that you've been carrying and you recognize that you didn't realize you were holding all this gear, this winter parka and jacket and a backpack that you start shedding off because you don't need that. You're running the race. Put it aside. It's slowing you down. You keep your eyes ahead so you don't trip and get distracted off of the road. Your eyes are fixed straight ahead. You run looking to the author And the finisher, you could say the forerunner of your faith, we're looking to Jesus as we run. This is ultimately what we would visualize and call the journey of the Christian life. A journey of faith. I aim today from the word of God to encourage you on this journey. There is this beginning in Hebrews 12 that tells us of this great cloud of witnesses, almost as I look out to you today and see all of your wonderful faces. And I look out into this great crowd, a cloud, a crowd of people, almost a stadium, almost that back door of signatures with their names written down. And yet another way of thinking about this great cloud of people that surrounds us We're surrounded by this, that that let us lay aside and run the race. Well, it also gives us a a depiction and a a list of this great cloud of people in Hebrews chapter 11. 
If you have a Bible in front of you, you can look through the entirety of the chapter. I'm not gonna be able to read it. We'll be referencing it off and on this morning. But in Hebrews chapter 11, it gives you what's known uh, kind of in Christian circles as the hall of faith. You know, like the hall of fame, right? The hall of fame, these, these ways of looking at and enshrining in Canton, Ohio, or whatever sport it is that you follow. I think it's, it's a basketball hall of fame in, in Springfield, Mass., I believe it is. You can go there and you can see the greats enshrined in a way, right? It's this massive hallway with different people's paintings and portraits along the hallway. The Abels and the Moseses. Or for football, the Joe Montanas, the Jerry Rices, the Jim Browns, and eventually one day the Tom Brady's, right? You have that hall of faith, right? The hall of fame, and that's what Hebrews 11 is like. It lists all of these as examples of people who've gone before you whose lives were demonstrations of faith in God that you too can follow and model and find encouragement from. And these are people who endured all kinds of things. And you say, well, they had it easy, you know. Or, or they, their lives are different than mine. And, and if I was in that, you know, and we make these excuses, but rather when we look at these people, they're not so much the poster children for an easy life, but rather they are the poster children for enduring all kinds of hardships and difficulties through faith. If you look at Hebrews 11, verse 33 with me, this is kind of at the end of the list of the whole chapter He's mentioned Gideon, Barak, and Samson, how he doesn't have time to get through all these guys, and then he just starts listing different situations of people who've overcome, and yet people who've also endured. Look at it, it says, uh, verse 33, who through faith, these people, men and women, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, verse 34, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, wow! Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured. Wait, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking, others flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. Verse 37, it gets crazy. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep, goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, through, though commended, meaning they received through their faith, yet they did not receive what was promised. Since God had promised something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. See that verse 39. It has this phrase that stuck out to me. Yet they did not receive what was promised. They didn't receive the things promised that they hoped in, in a sense. And so is this faith failed? What's going on here? Well, it says in Hebrews 11 in multiple places. And back, back in verse 13, I think it says that these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But it doesn't end there. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. See this idea that they would one day come, this one day future of what has begun, what they had started would one day be complete and be perfected by Jesus and by the church today. Because of their faith, it's almost as if they could see the unseen, they could grasp the intangible. Greeted it from afar, though having not received it yet in their lifetime. If you think about it this way, I, I, um, 
Maybe you've heard of the famous explorer, Ferdinand Magellan. You know what I'm saying, Magellan? Not those old commercials, the gelling commercials, no. The Ferdinand Magellan, who was credited to have been the first person to circumnavigate the earth, right? And four or five little ships that set out from Spain. Pretty incredible. I can barely make it to Boston without my GPS. They got on a boat and made it around the entire globe, right? And so this idea that Magellan was one of the first, and yet, he actually didn't make it to the finish line. On April 27, 1521, explorer Ferdinand Magellan was killed in a skirmish among rival tribes in the Philippines. Pretty legit, actually. He was killed by a poison arrow. I mean, that's a pretty cool story, right? But he, he, he died in the Philippines, and yet his crew finished the journey. They limped along back from the Philippines, and they made it back to Spain. They were the first to ever do this. They went from Spain to Brazil to Argentina around what's now called the, the bottom part of, of, of uh, South America, which is the Strait of Magellan. And then they sailed across the Pacific. They have spent more than a year at sea trying to accomplish this. It's an incredible story. Yet Magellan, in one way, did not receive what was promised to him when he set out on this journey. His crew would finish. They would finish the course and the job and the, and the journey, but you could say his faith motivated him to begin and to set out, to, to map the unknown, to see what hadn't been seen yet, to believe, to have faith, to plan this route, to journey headlong into unmapped territory and to see it through. And that is this map, this way, this direction that he headed that would see him to the end. His faith, you could say, looked forward. He looked forward into the unknown, into the invisible, into the intangible of a sorts. His faith looked forward. I want you to think about that today with me. Faith looking forward. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, we're gonna be looking at this verse just briefly a couple times this morning as we kind of discuss faith. Because Jesus is the finisher, the author, the founder of our faith. So what is faith? Faith, it says in Hebrews 11, verse one, faith is the assurance of things hoped for in the future and the conviction of things not seen. Yes, assurance or substance or reality, conviction even, this idea of proof or, or, or test. Tim Chester puts it this way. He says, there are other good ways of defining faith, and there are many, and we do not have them all today, but the focus here for the writer of Hebrews is on the way faith looks forward. Faith is trusting God's promises, and a promise is by definition a word about the future. We're trusting what God has said about the future and that it will happen and we're staking our lives on those promises. This is exactly what Abraham did. If you look at Hebrews 11, you'll find several verses around Abraham. Hebrews 11 verse 10 says that Abraham was looking forward. He was looking forward to a city since in the verse previous it said he had been living in tents. And yet he was willing to endure this nomadic lifestyle of living in tents because he looked forward to a more permanent city that has foundations whose designer and builder was God. A better land and a better place that was coming in heaven. Not an earthly possession. He was looking forward to the one who had promised this to him. Abraham, by faith, you could say, saw into the future in a way. It's as if he looked into what was sure, what was to come, because he trusted God's word. Though he did not receive the promise fulfilled in his life, by faith he saw it finished because he trusted God and that made it as good as done for him. God's word was good enough for him. 
This is also demonstrated in the sense of that famous well-known story of, of Abraham and Isaac. In verse 17, it deals with this in Hebrews 11 where it talks about Abraham bringing Isaac up to be sacrificed, this extraordinary story. And yet he trusted, uh, he trusted the promises of God to bless him with a nation in the future and all this land and this blessing. Therefore he obeyed and acted in faith trusting that God was even able to raise him from the dead. It's as if he looked forward to the resurrection despite the suffering of death he was called to endure. Yet we know the story that Isaac didn't have to die, though Abraham's faith led him to say that even if he did, God would raise him from the dead because he told me and promised to keep that promise of the nation through Isaac. So he trusted, he clung to the promises and the character of God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's almost as if his faith looked backward to who God was, stood on the promises of God and aimed his obedience and his life forward to lay hold of what was yet unseen but was as good as done because God was behind it all. You see, life is impossible without faith. This is what Hebrews 11 tells us. Life in general, it's just impossible. Life is impossible without faith. Verse six, it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. How do you expect to please God or find salvation from God when the passage says you, you don't even believe he exists? You have to believe he exists and he rewards those who diligently pursue him. We believe he exists. This is the base level of faith and salvation. It's the door to eternal life. It's the it's a vision that, uh, to see the things unseen. It's the means by which we hold on to the promises of God through the storms of life. Ephesians tells us, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith. See, you guys caught on the third time. That was pretty good. Faith into his grace in which we stand, we rejoice in hope in the glory of God. Faith, it's almost like this handle grip whereby you can grasp onto the eternal life that God has for you in the future. It's this, it's this holding on, which is a lot of what Hebrews has been telling you. Hold on, don't let go. He says it in chapter 10, the great hinge whereby the whole door of faith swings upon. It is the do not let go, don't throw away your confidence, don't shrink back, step forward and run the race, he says. Follow Jesus. So I wanna unpack faith a little bit further for a moment. I got a little overwhelmed this week because I was like, I'm talking about faith in one sermon. This is gonna be rough, right? Because it is literally the deepest well and the deepest hole I feel like in any word in all of the Bible, faith is, is deep. And yet, faith is also really simple. Faith is, is not all that complicated in some ways. It's, 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 you could say, is probably one of the most universally shared things that every human being experiences. Some deny it, but they experience it none the same. There's a, there really isn't a single action that you can take in your entire life without faith. Hebrews 11, one through three speaks of this, right? It is for by the people of old received their commendation, but for it is by faith we see kind of what God did in the beginning. By faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith in verse one, though, it's the assurance of things hoped for. That word assurance, depending on the translation you have in front of you, uh, is translated in a variety of different ways. The Greek word is hypostasis, and it's a difficult word to translate into English. And so you can use literally, and you'll hear me probably quote it or say it in many different ways this, today, but it, it, it can be assurance, it can be substance, it can be reality. 
And I think it's kind of a combination of all three. The word conviction here is the word elikos, and this Greek word is conviction or a proof or a test of reality. You could say even a proof test. It's a proof test of the things unseen. It's, a, it's an assurance. It's a substantive reality of what is yet to come. I think sometimes it's helpful for me to, to try to describe to you what faith is, but, but also what faith is not. Is that helpful? To, okay, what, what is faith, but what is it not? Faith is not just an intellectual, mental assent, pure, based on knowledge alone with no action or behavior to follow it up. Faith is not just this mental knowledge that you have and knowing alone apart from anything else. It's more than thinking, though I would say it is not less than thinking. It's not also a fuzzy emotional feeling that you have come about you or like this energetic force that kind of fills you that, you know, now you feel like you're living in a Star Wars movie or something, right? You know, it's, it's not exactly like that either. It's a, moods change in life. Believe me, my last name, I know. Moods change, right? Up and down, up and down, right? In life and yet it is faith, the consistent keel by which we can hold on that keeps the boat straight that faith that even though life is up and down, our faith can hold us through it. It is this, similar to hope, this anchor. It's not also just like a ritual activity or like a religious experience or, or like a, you could say, a, a morally good action that you can get more faith if you do good things. Kind of like, um, you, you can't buy faith. A guy just can't come and give a million dollars to the church and to, and, to, and to the poor and to expect to receive that amount of faith in return. That's not how faith works. It's not an interaction or a transaction where you can purchase enough of it for yourself by doing enough good things, okay? It's, a, it's also not just this blind wishfulness and a blind hopefulness. Faith is not blind. Or what many people who are critics of Christianity would say that only the Christians and the people of faith are the ones who have faith, which is complete hogwash and complete nonsense, for rather, blind hopefulness is not this blind wishful thinking, it's not this pie in the sky, for there is so much evidence from history, from science, from past experience, objective, empirical knowledge that we build into our very faith that leads us to believe what it is you believe. Faith is not also just faith in your faith. I just need to have more faith to well up the faith that I have. So I have faith in my faith to have more faith. That's not how it works, it's not a formula of faith. It's also not faith in yourself, and I feel like this is probably the most common experience that you have and you see probably on a daily basis in the culture around us. There's a, actually a TV show that was streamed on Apple TV, I think it was. It was very well known. I think it was run some awards or whatever. Uh, the show was called Ted Lasso. And uh, some of you are smiling, don't, you know, okay, this church, right? Ted Lasso, but it talks about this idea in this show that I found fascinating. You'll see it on marketing posters and all sorts of things. Ted Lasso is a soccer coach who goes over to England to help this really bad, poor team kind of ascend to the next level and be good again. They're terrible, and he comes in and wants to make them good. And he adopts a team motto, and he takes a poster board, and he slaps it up on the wall, and he tells the team to look at it, and he, and, he, and he says this word, and the one word that he has as his team motto is the word believe. 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 You might hear that everywhere, this idea of this kind of believe in yourself, right? You know, sounds really good. Believe in yourself. You can do it, right? <laughs> you can do anything you put your mind to. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> Not necessarily saying these are terribly wrong, but I'm saying with apart from Christ and apart from God, these kinds of ways of living our lives, just believe in 
yourself. Does that, does that really last? I was, I was listening to a, a, a Celtics reporter interview Jalen Brown the other day, and they literally asked him, she asked him, so Jalen, how did you keep the faith at the beginning of the series? And I was like, what in the world? They can't steal our terms, right? And then she says, well, how did you keep the faith? And then, you know, how did you have faith in your team this season? And he said, you know what, we just believed. I kid you not, I was like, what? This is like, you can't use those words. Well, now the point is, everyone uses these words. We like to deny faith and believe that it's just a religious thing. And yet it's part of every aspect of what it means to be human. Belief in faith is a widespread idea. I think the object is really the key. The, the great difference of faith, I would say, would probably be the direction of your faith. You could say the object of your faith. That's what sets this apart. So I wanna look back in a moment kind of as we're bringing this message to kind of a funnel, as we're bringing it back to the pathway, but as we, before we get there, we look at the back signatures of that door. Let's look back for a moment at the hall of faith. What direction were they putting their faith in? Who were they putting their faith in? The great hall of faith, let's look at that. Who were they putting their faith in? Well, I was thinking even this morning, as my son is starting to learn, he's one, uh, Judson is learning to walk. And if you put something in his hand, or he was doing it up even on the stage earlier this morning, he, he will take a step, but you gotta be close to him and hold your hands out to him, right? And he can look into my eyes and he'll, he'll toddle to you. And he can take steps, but he doesn't even know it yet until he sees you. And it's as if he's putting his faith in me that I'm gonna catch him if he falls. He trusts me as his father to catch him and hold him. He has faith in me. It's the object and the direction of your faith. Look at Abel, uh, back in Hebrews 11 verse four. Abel put his faith in God. Verse four and five talk about Abel and Enoch. He put his faith in God. He offered a sacrifice in faith. And then where Cain is assumed here in this passage, Cain did not. And it was accounted to Abel as his commendation through his obedience. In verse five, it, it talks about uh, this concept of, of Enoch who was taken up, that he should not even see death. You see, Enoch pointed his entire life through faithful obedience to God. And as a, as a result, his reward was not seeing death. Enoch put his faith in God. What did Noah's faith look like in verse seven and verse 10? It talks about this idea that, that Noah had faith in God when God gave him instructions. Noah had reverent fear. His faith looked like fear. He had reverent fear of God and he believed and he was warned yet about the things still yet unseen. But he trusted God, he obeyed and he constructed an ark by faith it led him to follow God's instructions, not his own experience. Hebrews 11 verse eight says that Abraham put his faith in God. He obeyed by faith, he obeyed. Not even knowing where he was going. Not even knowing where he's going, yet his faith led him to follow God's way, not his own. Hebrews 11, 11 says Sarah committed her faith, and this is an extraordinary verse because we don't even see Sarah's action in this place. This is where faith comes to the mental understanding. It, what does it say that Sarah did? She considered him faithful. She, she considered the promises that were made to her to have a child yet in her old age. It seemed crazy that there was a moment where it says that she laughed at such a proposition, but there came to a moment in her life when she considered him faithful. 
I believe she conceived. Sarah considered. She trusted in God's wisdom, not her own. Moses' parents are referenced here in Hebrews 11, verse 23. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months. Moses' parents feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. They feared and trusted in God more than they did anything that was around them. They had faith in God more than they had fear of Pharaoh. Moses is said to have followed up in this for in verse 24 of Hebrews 11. It says that Moses was taught this as a way because he refused to be called one of Pharaoh's daughters. And rather, he chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season. His faith chose eternal pleasure and redemption with God's people over his own temporary comfort. That is by faith. His faith chose mistreatment because he looked forward to the blessing and the promises of God that was made to him. Something that was yet unseen, but he believed and trusted that God would bring, and he so did. His faith looked forward. He saw the unseen. This is the theme, really, of all of Hebrews 11. Looking forward, seeing what is yet to be unseen. Hebrews 11.1, 1, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.3, so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. Verse 7, concerning the events unseen. Verse 10, Abraham looked forward to the city that was still unseen. Verse 13, not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar. Uh, verse 26, for he was looking forward to the reward that would come, not being afraid, in verse 27, of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And you could say in Hebrews 12, verse two, looking to Jesus. See Jesus. Faith looks, faith sees, faith looks forward, but you know what, faith also, before we kind of close this up, faith moves, <laughs> Faith works. In fact, Lars stole some of the thunder earlier. Faith and works, as he read from, uh, from uh, this idea from James. Maybe some of you have one of those smart watches or an Apple watch that tells you, and maybe it's been telling you right now since you've been stationary for the last you know, 45 minutes to an hour. It tells you what? When you've been sedentary for too long. It tells you to stand up, doesn't it? And you're like, would you quit it? You know, it's so judgmental. I'm just relaxing. But it tells you to stand up and get moving. You've been sitting for way too long. Get up, get moving. Faith is like that. It, it challenges us and charges us to get up and get moving. Faith moves, it works, it walks, it does. Faith enlisted in Hebrews 11 is full of people who took action and obeyed and did and worked and moved. Faith first works. Well, which one is more important? He was talking about it earlier, right? James says faith without works is dead. I don't work to get my faith, but it's because I have faith I work, right? C.S. Lewis talks about this idea in his book, Mere Christianity. There's a couple chapters on faith, and he talks about these ideas that we so often try to separate faith and works or God's work in salvation and man's work in salvation. We like to separate them into nice, neat little compartments. He's like, it's almost as if like we're trying to, to separate scissors and argue about which one of the blades is more important, is it the right blade of the scissors that make it work or the left blade of the scissors? Which part of faith and works works together? Which one's more important to cut? Well, the point of the matter is you need them both. This concept is they work together. You see, God is, is so much far outside of us that he is hard and difficult to understand. And yet at the same time, God is also within us and encouraging us. And so this is how God works. The Bible says in Philippians 2 to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, right? People, work it out. Run the race, but it also says, for it is God who works in you, 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And believe me, the word says he will, the one who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of redemption. This is what we call the Christian faith. The, The journey of faith the Christian life, we walk or we run n- n- by faith and n- not by sight, right? Faith is a journey of running this race and it is a race of perseverance. There may be moments of persecution. Second so, Corinthians 4 says, for this light momentary affliction. Does anyone find themselves in an affliction today? Right? And maybe your first words are not, this feels light and this feels momentary. It certainly doesn't while you're in the middle of it. But the word tells us for this light momentary affliction is just preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, momentary, passing away. But the things that are unseen are the things that are eternal, the eternal things. So faith for you today. What is this faith? Faith, as I was talking to somebody on Friday, they were saying, well, what is faith? We were talking about how deep of a concept it was and how I was gonna be preaching on this on Sunday. And he was like, well, faith comes by hearing. I was like, well, duh. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. It begins with hearing and then believing God and taking him at his word, seeing Jesus in all his glory. Faith looks forward to the unseen, to the sure things coming in the distance that you feel sure of, that you have assurance of and conviction in. I'll try to finalize this maybe with one final illustration before we kind of conclude here. The other, uh, I think it was Thursday, um, I was sitting on the couch at home with my daughter and and we were sitting and I was looking out, it was looking like it was gonna rain, like it's done pretty much every day, right? This month, yay. Um, <laughs> but it was looking like it was gonna rain, just hadn't rained yet, and all of a sudden it was loud. I was sitting on our couch and all of a sudden I heard boom, right, boom. This huge thunderous roar shook our house, it felt like. I was like, whoa, that was cool. My daughter kind of comes right into me, and is like, what was that? I was like, that was thunder. And you know the first thing I thought of? Well, first of all, that was loud. And then I thought to myself, I, I hadn't heard thunder in a long time. I, I hadn't heard thunder in months. I mean, you don't typically hear thunder in the wintertime, right around here? It's cold, it's dark, it's stormy. You see, thunder signals that something's coming. Thunder signals every time you hear it that something's coming. They're, they're sure, a storm is brewing but so is spring, so is summer. You don't hear thunder in the cold in the dead of winter, but you do in this time of spring when you hear the first thunderstorm that is a sign that new life is coming with spring and summer. Warmer days are ahead that even today we need to hear that because it snowed today, right? It's cold, it's dark, it's snowy. And in life, faith is like that thunderous roar. It is a thunderous faith that reminds us that it sounds off from something in the future. It sounds off to us today that I can grasp and hold on to. No, I can't maybe grab that thunder, but I can hear it. I can hear that for faith comes from hearing and I can believe that that storm is on its way. Yes, the storms may bring rain, this difficulty, but what it brings is it brings life. And what it tells you today, when you hear that thunder, when your faith is strengthened, it tells you keep running. Don't quit now. 
It's cold, it might be difficult. Nobody said this was going to be easy. But look to Jesus. Keep the faith. And as we close here, we run back to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us what? Lay aside every weight. Shed the weight, people. Get rid of these things that you're carrying, these weights and these jackets and these burdens that you're bringing down this trip. You don't need it. Shed aside. The chains have been broken. You are free to run the race and focus on the path. Don't get distracted with the sin which so easily entangles us. It trips us up. It's enticing and there are allurements all around. Keep your eyes ahead. Run the race, he says, but run it with endurance. It's not a sprint. It breaks my heart sometimes to see people come and get on fire for the Lord for a few months and then you, you don't hear of them for they're treating faith like a, like a little bit of a, a, a sprint it's something that I can, like a transaction that I can make to get it, and then I'm good to go. This sense of, this feeling that we need to run, as the Bible says, with endurance. Endure, and then yet remember that you're running surrounded with people, a cloud, a crowd of people that is cheering you on, many who have gone before you, because they were all following the same person. The Old Testament and the New Testament were all looking in the same direction. We're all looking at Jesus. They looked at the Messiah that was to come. We're looking at the Messiah who has come and who has promised that he's coming again. And so we're looking to Jesus, as it says in verse two, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. That word founder could be the pioneer, the one who is blazing the trail through the unknown, the, the Magellan of a sorts, the, the author of the book. He begins writing the book. He's the beginning. He's the alpha and the omega. Jesus is the beginning and the end. He is the founder, pioneer, the author. Jesus is the perfecter. He is the finisher. He perfects and completes this journey. He's on the front door, but he's at the end waiting for you as well. Jesus is our forerunner. He's gone before you. He's those footsteps on the trail that you're hiking in the mountain, of the Monadnock Mountain there, and you're riding, you're running up one of those trails or down. You're following these footsteps of people in the snow that have gone before you. You're following their trail. And so keep running, follow the trail. Keep running, he says, because Jesus ran this with joy. Isn't that crazy? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame. He treated it as nothing. He fluffed it off, despised the shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's seated in authority and victory. That's our Jesus that we sung about today. And so I ask you in closing, where is your faith this morning? Some of you find yourselves coming in this morning on fire. <laughs> with joy. Others find yourself, you just dragged yourself here this morning. Some of you maybe are just starting off in this journey. Some of you have been doing this thing for a long time. Some of you find yourself in different places on this journey, but we find ourselves following the same person. Some of your faith today feels sure and steadfast. Some of you might find yourself shaky and faltering. Some of you might find yourself today with no faith and curious about all this stuff we're talking about today. I'll tell you what. I want you to do something. I want you to look back that door that we started with. Look at the front of that door. This picture after picture carved into that wood of the person of Jesus Christ, of his work as your high priest, your intercessor, your mediator, as his blood that covers and washes you white as snow. 
as he is your king. Behold your king. He stands and, and he sits on the throne and he stands in victory. We look at the door and we enter by faith. We're running by faith because we're looking at Jesus. So the whole aspect here of this hinge that is, that is swinging is to not quit, don't let go, don't shrink back. Uh, Jesus is bidding you to come, to come. He says, look to Jesus, run to Jesus, and then let's run together. You're not alone. I'm running with you. You can look around and you see the people beside you or next to you, maybe you don't know them, maybe you don't know them. they're running too. You're not in this alone. You don't have to fight this battle alone. This is the, the joy of the Christian faith. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and yet we also find ourselves running in a group together. We're running together. This is the aspect that we close with, this idea of John 20, where Lars read it earlier, the disciples running to the tomb. <laughs> of course, John, right? I made it there first, right? I'm the winner. And uh, John writes that, and he says, the other disciples who had reached the tomb first, and, and then he says in verse eight, and he, they also went in, and he saw, and he believed. He believed. And then at the end, that verse 31 but these are written to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. If you don't have life and you don't know who that person of Jesus is, I challenge you to come talk with me after the service. There'll be some people up here that are willing to pray with you, to show you from the word how you too can have faith. If you just need encouragement today, please come talk with us. We'd love to pray with you after the service. Don't leave today having this aspect where, where it is just something that you experienced for a moment and you left it behind. It's something you bring with you and you journey for the rest of your life with together. We're here together. We want to encourage you and give you confidence today. And then we're going to close with this song. I had asked the worship team to look at this song. It's called King of Kings. Might be a newer one for some of you. We've sung it here at church several times. There's this ending line that just hit me this morning. I mean, I was listening to it last night and then I was driving here early this morning when the sun was still out, by the way. <laughs> And the sun was out and I was driving here to church early in the morning and I, and, I, and I heard this song. And the last verse of King of Kings says, and the church of Christ was born. And the spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth volt, it shall not kneel, it shall not faint. This gospel truth, this good news, the kingdom of God will remain unshaken. It is a faith that you can rely on. It is a truth that will not kneel and it will not faint because they're looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of that faith. They keep on running. For by his blood and his name, in his freedom, I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ has resurrected me. Let's sing out in those words in a moment and praise our Lord and Savior, our King of Kings. This gospel truth is not gonna kneel and it will never faint. Keep on running, looking to Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you. We praise you, God, for your truth, for who you are, for the faith that you have gifted all of us today. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage those who are lacking in this way, who do not have this confidence today. May you encourage them. May you reveal yourself to them. God, we praise you today as the king. Behold our king. Our king is alive, we sang earlier death is arrested. You're resurrecting us. The blood of Jesus, we thank you for it today. 
And God, most of all today, we praise you, looking back through, through the saints of old who've gone before and through now the opportunity that we have to carry the torch on this journey of faith. Thank you, God, for this church, for these people. Would you bless them? Would you encourage them today? And thank you, God, for Easter and all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.